podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. I that you would just continue to pour yourself out because we need you. And so we bless you and we praise you. We ask that you bless the gifts of your people. Bless those that are faithful to give. And we just thank you, thank you, thank you for the family. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Guys, would you welcome Sam as he comes? He's got good stuff. Chest bump ready. for football, Super, Super Bowl Sunday through a chest bump at Tim. What a great time. I'm really excited to preach today. I honestly love preaching, so I'm excited to preach every Sunday. So that isn't new. Uh, I'm just grateful that you're here. I love you guys. I am just hoping for the Niners to win because I don't want Mahomes to catch Brady because Brady's my guy. Tom Brady, remember him? Greatest of all time, most winningest franchise in NFL history. Uh, so I'm rooting for the Niners today, but I am positive Mahomes is going to win, and I'm disappointed about that. So let's do this. I am excited. I, I, you know, some, some holiday Sundays, like a little bit of a lesser crowd and kind of like thinner and stuff like that. Thanksgiving weekend, classically, classically bare bones crowd. Super Bowl Sunday can tend to be like that a little bit too. There's other holidays in there. Labor Day, Columbus Day, really, really thin uh, weekends. Uh, but, uh, I, I still really enjoy it. I, I, it feels like exciting. It feels like you're, you know, you're with your like friends, you know, and you're having a good time and you're worshiping Jesus. You're talking about Jesus. And then you go and celebrate, have great family time together. I've been to a couple of times where the church did like a Super Bowl watching thing. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm never going to do that. Uh, cause I was watching the Patriots one year lose to the Giants while a Giants fan behind me was talking trash for three and a half hours. I almost lost my salvation, my pastorship. I almost lost it all. So I'm never doing that again. That was awful. Uh, so unless I'll be that guy one day. No, I don't know. So we're talking about abolish and reconcile. Uh, abolish probably doesn't sound like a Jesus word. Uh, but reconcile probably does firsthand. You look at it, you're like, reconcile. That's what Jesus likes. He likes reconciling. He also likes to abolish certain things. So this is a relationship in Jesus. We've got to have clarity that he does many things. And so if we have a clarity and a clear vision, right? So this is important. We have to have a clear vision of Jesus and what he's doing in our life so we can be uh, great recipients of the things he's doing. And so you're like, Ooh, I know what, I know what's happening here. You know, like, uh, with Jess and my wife is okay. Certain moments she does a certain thing and I know her. So I'm like, Oh, I know what's happening here. I'm in trouble. So <laughs> I know this moment, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I really will. Uh, so, and so abolish and reconcile this will be some of the theme here. It's all in line with building. Uh, this, this year we really see God building people, families, communities. There's certain things. If you miss a town hall, uh, you can check it out. We streamed it and captured it. It's on our website. Uh, City on a Hill and Casa de Paz, two things we really see God building in us uh, this year uh, and for a couple of years to come, of course. But uh, starting this year and really getting the train tracks in place, getting the groundwork done. So you can check those things out. We won't talk about them at this moment because we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to preach a little bit here. Colossians 1, uh, we're going to start in uh, 15 through 18. Uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 18. I really wanted to 
amplify. Last week I talked about uh, carrying the death of Jesus in our bodies. Talks about that in Corinthians and Ephesians. And so carrying this death of Jesus in our bodies so that we may manifest the life of Jesus. So this is the dynamic we're talking about, right? The cross of Jesus and the resurrection image of Jesus. These are both really important uh, uh, elements to understand in our vision of Jesus. Uh, sometimes you'd call them God concepts or images you have of God, depending on how you were raised. You have a really uh, healthy God concept that he loves you, he's powerful, he's making you holy, etc. But some of us grew up with different types of upbringings as it relates to God. So maybe you see God as very condemning and very angry and very uh, vengeful, uh, throwing lightning bolts perhaps at different times or, or cursing you when you don't do it right, punishing God. So whatever images you have of God, I would encourage you to reconcile those images and ideas to a biblical vision of Jesus. Because uh, there is a vision of Jesus and it is so clear in scripture. So meditate on it and repair your vision of Jesus or heavenly father. You want to be able to recognize when he's abolishing things and when he is reconciling things. Uh, it might not be separate, uh, but just recognize what is he destroying in your life, right? What is he breaking in your life? What is he uprooting in your life? Um, he'll never abolish you, right? But there are shackles, chains, weeds, roots of bitterness, and these things God is actively actively abolishing in our life, causing to no longer exist, cease to exist. This is the goal. So Colossians 1, 15, let's start there through 18. It paints a picture of Jesus that's going to be helpful to see um, for what comes next. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. We're talking about Jesus here, image of the invisible God because he walked the earth. So literally, he provided a very physical image of God here on earth. The way he behaved, the way he walked, his obedience, his mirroring of everything Heavenly Father did. So it's very literal here. He actually provided an image of an invisible God. And in verse 16, it says, For by him all things were created, the heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, uh, that in everything he might be preeminent. And if you're wondering what preeminent means there, it's superior. It is the superior. He's above all things. He's superior, superior. And, you know, you might ask yourself, like, why did the, why did, it takes three verses to describe Jesus in this kind of intergalactic, incredible, cosmic power, uh, all-time power scale. Like, why did it paint this picture of Jesus? Because, like, that's incredible. He's above all things. Uh, he's in all things. He holds all things together. He created all things. There's a reason it's painting this picture, and it's because what's coming next is important for us to see God in this powerful way. So let's really highlight some things about God's resume here that I think are important. This vision of God, he's a creator. He created out of nothing the heavens and the earth, the whole nine yards, he created it. 
Now, it's important to understand how he creates. He doesn't create with existing building blocks. He creates out of nothing something. And he can do the same thing to your life. So you got to translate this to your life. You might be like, there's not a lot of good here. I'm kind of a scummy person. There's not a lot of redeemable traits about me. I would probably argue with you that there are. But even if you were right, in the worst case scenario, you argue with me and you won because you are right that you are the worst of us. Even, even in that resume and that profile, God is not limited to the parts that exist in your life. That he can create godliness out of nothing. Like you might have had the worst general, generational line of curses ever inherited. You might have had the worst parents, worst grandparents, worst great-grandparents. You might have had the worst aunties and uncles. Uh, and, and God is not limited to your generational traditions in terms of what he can create in your life. So out of nothing, God can create godliness. It doesn't need to be human tradition for you. It doesn't need to be how your mommy and daddy acted or how your grandparents acted. God can out of nothing create a new tradition of godliness in your life. He's a powerful creator. This is an important image and vision to have of Jesus because then we enter into our places of transformation need. And when we are shortcoming and we are incapable, we recognize that God in his creative propensity or capacity can do in me what I can't even imagine is possible. Isn't that exciting? So if you're dirt, it's okay. He made us. He healed people with dirt. He healed blind eyes with spit and dirt. You'd be surprised what God can do with dirt. You'd be surprised. It's beauty for ashes. In the first service, I mispronounced ashes. <laughs> On accident. And I didn't now, and you can hear me really try to emphasize the ashes. It's beauty for ashes. Ashes don't have beauty inherent to it. It's actually a life burned down, destroyed, no longer good, not even existing as a structure, and he creates something beautiful from it. Okay, I think I've persuaded you that God can create even when you're not that great. I didn't mean to make that rhyme, but I did. Verse 19, we'll get to why it matters for us to have this powerful vision of Jesus. And it says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Okay, this is where it gets important for us to make it really personal. So I want you to imagine the loftiest, biggest, hardest things you've been incapable of overcoming in your life. I like to consider them mountains in my life, right? This is why we have as, as a moniker, as a phrase in our church, being a mountain mover, because it is lending to the power of God to see things that are larger than us, uh, moved in our life that need to be moved. 
And it's important, though, to really amplify this mountain idea. Think of it something larger and greater than you. You don't have the ability on your own right to move a mountain. Like if I'm like this small guy here, this mountain slash hill thing, go ahead and move that for me. And you just don't have, you don't have enough time in your lifetime to get it done on your own accord and your own might. So this mountain right here, it's just really make that a, a, like a symbolism example for you in your life. What are the mountains in your life, the things that were greater and bigger and that you have not been able to budge, not been able to move? These are the things that you have to put side by side with Jesus. You have to put it side by side with Jesus so that you can see that the thing that you believe to be the most powerful, like you talk to an addict and one of the most powerful ideas in their life is their addiction. Because intimately and personally, they've actually been incapable of overcoming it. So it is a Lord in their life. It is an authority in their life that they've been in a, incapable of escaping. So really imagine that Jesus comes into this space and by his blood spilled on the cross, makes a way for you to have access to him. And in him, there is freedom and there is an ability to overcome. So really what we're talking about is we're talking about Jesus, not the resurrected vision of Jesus, but the died version of Jesus. The death of Jesus is this vision of Jesus that actually is powerful to uh, relating to us that there is a bridge now. From the despair of your humanity there is a bridge created by his blood and sacrifice and death to allow you to live in a land potential and ripe with transformation and the power needed to be transformed. So I want to bring you to Colossians 2, uh, 8 through 9, because when it talks about the fullness of Jesus, and then we're going to jump back to Colossians 1, when it talks about the fullness of Jesus, it, it, the fullness of God in Jesus it's just something that we have to understand as being an ingredient in our life. And what does that mean? What does it mean to have the fullness of God occupy, occupying our life? And in verse 8, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according uh, to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Okay, so you see a paradigm right here? You've got philosophy, human tradition, elemental spirits of the world. You've got these things that can be considered lords and authorities in your life. Now, you might want to make some false declarations that they don't exist in your life, and maybe they're truthful, but you ought to check. You ought to check with the Lord and go, hey, God, are there any false idols, false authorities, false comforts that are occupying my life? If there are, I want you to handle them with me. Okay, so let's continue to read because then we'll get into this picture a little bit more. So for in him, this is verse nine, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Okay, so all of God, all of God, all of him, not a little bit. So when you get Jesus, when you get Holy Spirit, you don't get the part that's like 10% or 2%, whatever you deserve. No, 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 all, right? So when you receive God, you receive all of God. Uh, even if your generational line is crumb, even if you're dirt, like we talked about, you get all of God 
in that willingness and acceptance. You get all of him. So it dwelled all of it in the body. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Okay, now you've been filled, right, by the greatest ruler and the greatest authority, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now let's amplify this picture. Let's really try and stretch this thing out so we can understand how it relates to our transformation. And now imagine that your body is a temple. That's biblical, so that's not too hard for us to wrap our head around. We are a temple, okay? So now imagine this temple is designed to host God, because it is. Now imagine, though, when you go to invite God into this temple, you've got some other uh, people living in there. Right? Just imagine, at the advent and the start of this thing, you're like, hey, okay, God, yeah, this sounds cool. Come into my life. You've been knocking on the door. I'm going to open the door, and I'm going to let you in. So here we go. The ruler of rulers, the authority of all authorities, the king of kings enters into your front door and he sees some other tenants in the house. So this is why abolish is actually really helpful. Now, do we think that Jesus, when he enters into this space and he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords, is going to be kind to those other lords? Do you think he's going to be buddy-buddy? Do you think he's going to enter into that space with like, I'm just no judgment here. These guys can stay. We'll all be friends. So when perfect love comes, it casts out fear. This is just one biblical example of what happens when God comes, what he does to darkness. Light enters and it expels darkness makes it extinct. It makes it no longer. It destroys it. It doesn't give it room to operate or remain. So here we go. You've invited the highest ruler and authority into your body, into your temple. And all of a sudden he starts cleaning house. He starts kicking people out. He starts delivering you of this darkness that has resided in you for so long. Now, here's what you've got to do. You've got to be willing to say goodbye to all of your former best friends. Now, when you've lived for somebody that long, you might have mistaken them as your wife. You might have mistaken them as your husband, and then Jesus starts kicking them out, and now you're offended. You're like, I don't know if you know this, Jesus, but I've been living a long time with that tenant. I've been living a long time. I made some covenants with that darkness. I made some agreements with that darkness. And you're trying to kick him out of this house. What will come of me if I no longer have that roommate? Where will I get my intimacy? Who will speak sweet nothings into my ear? Who will cuddle with me at night? Who will keep me safe? who will keep out the bad guys. You see, all of a sudden, Jesus comes into your life, and all of a sudden, what begins to happen is he, dry, he starts to drive out isolation and independence, right? And you're like, but wait a second, isolation has kept me safe. Because Jesus, I see you walking into this space and wanting to bring some other people that you want me to love, but I don't know if you know this, but people are whack. 
Like, have you seen the earth? Like, have you watched from up there or down here? I know you're down here with me, but I sometimes I wonder because, like, these people are nuts. And you want me to love them? I said yes to you, but I'm not so sure about all these other folks. So he starts to drive out isolation and perhaps, just perhaps, the puzzle and the quandary you're at right now is that you've loved your former tenants to the point that you're not willing to let go of them. So here God's like, whoa, here's what we're going to do. We're going to cast out fear. Isn't that exciting? I'm in your temple and I'm just kicking it out. And you're like, hey, time out. Time out. Fear has kept me safe. Fear has been my protector. It's been my shield. There's a reason why there's an armor of God, right? And it's meant to give us this visual of alternative safety that isn't the vices of the enemy or the human tradition safety. Like, look at each adjective of the armor of God. None of them are based on human tradition. None of them are based on the wiles of this world or the enemy. None of them are based on these things. They're based on righteousness and godliness. They're based on the attributes of God. So we clothe ourselves and we find safety in the character of God, not the character of man. Okay, so all of a sudden we see this fullness of God occupying this space, which means that he is, because he's the highest authority and power, he's, be he's beginning to destroy the fabric of power that has formerly shaped you. What have you been clothed in? Is it greed? Is it selfishness? Perhaps you feel like selfishness has actually kept you fed, kept you safe, kept you loved and nurtured and cared for. Jesus starts to come in and he starts to show you the way he unselfishly gave his life for you and everybody else. He begins to mobilize your heart to sacrifice for others, not because they demanded of you, manipulate you, or somebody else lorded you and made you sacrifice, but all of a sudden, out of a loving relationship with Jesus, you find yourself wanting to give to others. And then you're like, wait, but what? Last time I did this, I got burned. The picture I'm trying to paint is in this temple as Jesus begins to occupy it, and he goes into each room, he begins to, in his all might, in his all-powerful nature, remove lesser authorities and power. The only person that can cause them to remain is you. It's the only person. It's the only person that can say, actually, God, I know that it's in your nature to cast out fear, but I really want that fear to remain. It keeps me safe, keeps me fed, keeps my family provided for, keeps me safe from all the goons and goblins out there. So we begin to host the fullness of God and partner well with this all-powerful vision of Jesus. All-powerful vision of Jesus. If we go back to verse 1, begin to see it really begin to amplify a little bit here, right? It goes through him to reconcile to himself all things. So the fullness dwells for the purpose of reconciling us because we actually need something to create a bridge because our sin 
without the blood of Jesus creates distance. It creates separation. It creates an inability for us to access presence. And God's presence in our life is actually critical to transformation. It's factual that without God, you can't become like God, right? So you plus God, in that process of hosting him in your temple, he begins to make you like him. So all of a sudden, if it weren't for his blood, we would have a separation, a disconnect there, and we need his blood to recover the distance. We need his blood to shift the proximity. We need his blood to allow us access without perfection. But there is a work that the blood of Jesus does. There is a work that Jesus does in our life, and it abolishes sin. It abolishes the remnants of other people's lordship and authority in our life. <clears throat> and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Okay, so alienated and hostile. For some of you, you're like, I'm not hostile with Jesus, right? So that doesn't maybe resonate with you or make sense. I will say, take a closer look, because maybe in name you're not hostile to Jesus, but perhaps in what he's trying to do in your life, you are hostile towards it. So perhaps you're not like hostile to Jesus, but maybe you're hostile to this plan, and then you don't realize it's Jesus' plan, God's plan. So in that way, we must recognize the hostility of our sinful nature. We must recognize the way it is at odds, at times, with Jesus. So when you recognize the hostility that exists inside of you, you're like, man, dang, I am violent right now. That hostility, that place of violence towards the things God's trying to do in your life, you've got to surrender those weapons. You've got to surrender that violence because it produces evil deeds. But perhaps hostility just still can't make sense to you. Alienation may be a better fit for you to understand. It's the alien nature. You're non-citizen of heaven, non-citizen of his heart, non-son, non-daughter. You just disconnected, don't know, aren't like this. I long to know him. I long to know him. You know, walking this life without knowing, I mean truly knowing Jesus. I don't mean academically and knowledge knowing Jesus. I mean literally knowing Face to face, Jesus to me, I know Jesus. This is what we're talking about. Don't be alienated to him, but be familiar with him. Be family with him. Be resident with him. First service, I talked about worship. I said one of the interesting things about worship is that, like, I don't really rely on a worship leader to lead me into worship because what I've got here in my life is I've got this intimate relationship with Jesus so when it's time to worship, I just worship. I just enter in. I don't need another man or woman to lead me into worship. Now, frankly, I need them to lead me in song. I really do. Like, it's bad. Like, I sing songs over there in front of the speaker, and I just go off on my own thing. So I was singing to worship you. I live to the song they were singing at the end, which didn't work at all. It was horrific. It was a crash. I was crashing, right? But it was like I was just worshiping God to this other melody and just mixing things. And so I need them to lead me in song, but 100%, we don't need a person to lead us into an expression of intimacy. 
When I go on a date with my wife, I'm not like, hey, can somebody show me how to do this thing? I don't really know how to have intimacy with my wife. Do I talk to her? Like, what do I do here? Can somebody lead me in to this place of relationship intimacy? That's a wild idea to have that be your all the time. I'm not saying what you have initially when you first start walking with Jesus, where Paul says to Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the start of this thing. We're talking about you can't live your life in covenant with God through someone else. It's your intimacy. It's your face-to-face. It's your heart. It's your soul. It's your life. So when we're in this place of worship, yeah, they play songs and stuff like that, but this, is, this comes not from a place of intimacy achieved on Sunday. This comes from a place of intimacy I live with every single day. And we come together to sing. But I didn't need to come here to worship. I didn't need to come to church to worship God. I could have done it at home by myself. I came here to fellowship, to worship together in that fellowship. It's beautiful to worship together, but it's not required to be together to worship God. I want to invite you, if you're not in that place of intimacy with Jesus, get there. Now, how do I do that? Start. And when I first asked Jess on a date, this is years ago. How many years ago? Is it 16, 17? Something like that. I could remember, guys, what she's wearing on her first date in the brain. I also remember that her car battery died on 215 in Summerlin dancing to Space Jam overlooking the city. And that we were three hours late for our curfew. Three. Which is a God number, so it's okay. (laughs) It's three. It's resurrection. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It was a good start. It was a really good start. Super proud of myself. So I can remember, though, the beginning of our, of our intimate journey together. And there's things you don't really know about each other, right? So there's unknown. You're like, how do I do this? You know? But you just, you just start, right? I was like, I, I, I asked her out on a date. The first week I had her number. I'm like, hey, let's go out this Friday. You know? And uh, she's like, well, I don't know. Maybe we should be friends. I'm like, ah, that sounds like a bad idea. Just thinking about it, praying about it, that doesn't sound right. So we went on a date that Friday night, but like I didn't really know her. I didn't know what to talk to her about. I didn't know what not to talk to her about. I didn't know her like that. Not like I do now. So we brought a couple, uh, another couple along to kind of help, but really we didn't need them either because like I just did that so she'd go on a date with me, you know? She's more comfortable in a group. I'm like, hey, whatever gets her there, you know? Wherever it's at, I don't care. Let's just, like, let's go on a date. Uh, But I didn't know her. You just, you take the leap. You take the leap of of heart intimacy. You take the leap of relationship. You take the leap of love. And you just begin. Like, have you prayed to God? Have you talked to God? But, like, like, he's actually there. Not like it's sending an email for a request. Like, sometimes we pray to God like it's an email. Just like, hey, God, can you heal all these things? Can you give me this money? Uh, and, like, this life kind of sucks, so can you help with that too? Sent. So with an email, you don't really wait for it to come back in and, like, talk. on the, Like, you go away and you just do things and then you check maybe. Like, but if you're actually talking to God like he's there, 
It's not an email. It's a face-to-face conversation. So if you don't know what he's saying, you don't know his language and how he speaks, don't be worried about that. There's this moment where his prophet in the Old Testament, it's like, well, he, so he wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. He was in the whisper. So even the prophet needed to learn to try and tune his ear to hear God, try and tune his ear to have a conversation with God. So does your heart have the right tuning for it? Does your spirit have the right discernment for it? Does your mind have the right stuff for it? I don't know, but I know that the way you get to tune it is you try different stations, right? You try different tunings, and then you talk to somebody that's got it all tuned up, and you're like, hey, does this make sense? He told me this. Is that right? And they go, whoa, brother, that is not right. And I got like nine scriptures to show you why that is not right. Or they're like, brother, that is so on. I'm going to show you some scriptures that let you know that's right on. So when it comes to us actually knowing God and having this intimacy with the fullness of God in our life as a temple, you've got to actually try for intimacy. You've got to actually try for face-to-face stuff because what happens in this place of truly hosting God's presence is that you become like the image you are hosting. This is why I brought up worship. If you're really hosting this image of the invisible God, it begins to transform your image. Moses goes up on the mountain, comes back down, and his face was changed. His countenance was changed. There is a transfiguration that maybe sometimes doesn't happen physically for us, but happens in the very essence of who we are as a person. And everything you thought you were about who you were on the inside, man, I'm an ugly person, I'm an evil person, I'm a corrupt or perverted person. Whatever you thought you were, let's assume you're right about the worst ideas you have about yourself. And then from that place of false or true assumption, let's realize that it doesn't actually prohibit Jesus from creating his image on you. You may be the worst scumbag in this place. No, and I'm really serious. You might see yourself as the most deplorable, as the most disgusting, as the most cursed. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. God is not intimidated by your filth. He is the highest ruler, and he is the highest authority, and that includes the rulership of filth. That includes the rulership of wickedness, of perversion, of distortion, of deception. Truth greater than the lie. His righteousness greater than the wickedness of the enemy. Just match it up. 1v1 this thing with whatever you got. And I promise you, you will see that in the scope of God's infinite power, the power that has held you captive pales. It pales. So get there for real. Bring it to court for real. Right now, today. Like, where's your heart at today? Where's your soul at today? What are you held bound by today? What are the rulers and authorities and lords in your life today? Today, go to war. Today. I like to ask, what's our responsibility in all this, right? Like, what do I, get? What do I have to do, God? What do you have to do? Like, what has this work? Think of it as a bookend. Think of it as the first Start of this thing is your choice, right? It's your choice. Are you going to choose to walk across that bridge that God built for you to live in God and for him to live in you? Are you going to make that choice that God is my Lord today, that Jesus is my Lord and Savior? If you make that choice, that's the beginning of this thing. 
And I'll tell you what, what's amazing about God is that he does all of it up until this point. Like he starts to transform you. He starts to purify you. He starts to kick out the other lords and authorities. He starts to tear things down that are idols. He starts to pull up weeds and and roots of bitterness. He starts to do all these things. It's magnificent. It's awesome. Now here's your bookend responsibility. Choose him. And then I'm going to read for you in 23 and then we're going to finish. And then it says this for you. It goes, listen, if indeed you continue, continue in the faith, Continue in the faith. Look, check it out. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Okay, so choose him and then check this out. Remain. Don't leave. Don't leave. Don't step outside that door and leave the house of God. Like, don't leave. Remain. I like that word shift, right? I got this stick shift car when I was uh, just out of high school and I wanted to learn stick shift, so I got this super cool Nissan Sentra. <laughs> and I called it the Green Mile because it was cool. And I, I was like, I don't know how to drive stick shift, but I want to learn how to drive stick shift. So we're just going to get a stick shift car and we're going to learn. Because you kind of have to learn. And it was, a, it was a wild month, you know, of learning. And I was like, man, I'm going to get in a crash for sure. Like every time I drove, I was like, sure, that that guy that was real close to me on my bumper on the hill, like it's going to happen. You know what I mean? Just had my insurance car ready to go. And, uh, but here's like, when you're shifting, it's a choice. You're going along and, and look, check it out. You have to shift up or down if your speed changes. So here's where a lot of people miss it. If you're walking with God, and you start to downshift, this is a dislocation of God's timing. If you start to upshift and go faster, it's a dislocation again of God's timing. Stay in pace with him. Live with him. Walk with him. Walk with him. Walk with him. Don't shift down to idle. God's walking. I think I can still see him. No! Lock step. Lock your steps with him. Walk with him. Don't shift down. Don't shift up. Don't see where you're going to go. Look how cool that is. I'm going. And all of a sudden, you can't see Jesus anymore. You ran way over there. Look, lockstep. Stay with him. Don't shift up. Don't shift down. Don't shift direction. Stay with God. Stay with God. Stay with God. Whoever tempts you away from in God, decline. Hey, check it out. Even if it's a godly person. Choose God over any human tradition. This is why it warns you about the fullness of God, or about before it talks about the fullness of God, it warns you about empty deceits and philosophies, human traditions. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like just like that. Feel free. Feel free. It's one simple life plan. If it's God, I'm in. If it ain't, I'm out. And you don't have to hate the people that aren't with God. You don't have to hate them. You don't have to be like, I'm motivated to be like God because I hate sinners. It's not required. Purity, uh, to, to be pure, you do not have to hate the impure. To love Jesus, you don't have to hate sinful people. You don't have to hate people that damage you or hurt you. So like too often we try and motivate righteousness by having an enemy. Ah, hate them. 
I love God and his plan, and I hate all those sinners and Philistines. Let's kill them and cut their heads off. Well, we're in an era now where that's not people. This is spiritual darkness and power and principles. This isn't people. Like, it's not like that anymore. Like, you've got to wrap our hearts and our, our minds around this thing. Be with Jesus, and he'll mobilize your heart to powerfully love. Even people, and this is where it gets really important, even people that you deeply disagree with, that you don't identify with, politically, racially, uh, historically, socially, financially. I can go down the list there. Choose the most close to the nerve you've got in terms of your identity. When Jesus is no respecter person, it, he doesn't care to create factions and tribes in this thing. So if those things exist inside of you, let the fullness of God dwell and expel partialism, expel partiality, expel racism, expel judgmentalism, expel stereotypes, expel withholding love, expel unforgiveness, expel deep-rooted seeds of bitterness and roots of bitterness in your life. Let it dispel family hate. Let it dispel spousal hate. Let it dispel kid hate, grandpa hate. Let it dispel all of the things, even if they are reasonable and rational things. So here's the plan, in my opinion. Here's my plan, and I want to invite you to this plan. Jesus, I invite you the ultimate ruler to come and rule this temple. And if you could close your eyes with me. What's really cool about this is that it actually gets into every territory you could want. One, it gets into encouragement and love, deep love like you've never felt before. You invite the Lord of Lords to be the Lord of your temple. And all of a sudden you got a father, <laughs> you got a friend, you got a comforter. You got an aid and encourage you. You got an empower. You got a freedom inducer and creator. You got a freedom retainer. He creates all the freedom and he maintains all the freedom. All you do is choose him and stick with him. Choose him, stick with him. So Jesus, when we say be the Lord of our temple right now, this isn't some kind of uh, notion of salvation that we do once, but this is covenant. This is covenant. We choose you as our groom. We choose to live with you. We choose the honeymoon with you. We choose the vacation with you. We choose to raise kids with you. We choose to reach out, host with you. We choose to clean our house the way you want to clean our house. We choose to design the way you want to design. Holy Spirit, Jesus, we, we invite you to be the total authority in our bodies, the total authority. And here's the implications. I think this is actually important to say. There's this really interesting thing about trauma and that it stores in our body. And when I was studying last week and even this week, I, I just kept on hearing this theme of, you know, the pain and the trauma and the things that are stored in our bodies. You allow the Lord of the Lord and the ruler of authorities to fish those things out 
to expel those things out. For some of you, you've stored up pain and brokenness in your body for decades, for decades. You might even see physical things starting to happen to you as a result. And I just want you to right now, like in this moment right now, not tomorrow, not eventually, not when you get home, but right now in this moment, I want you to invite the Lord of Lords to come into your life and body and expel all of those pockets of trauma, all of those pockets of pain, all of those things that you've been storing in you. Deep calls unto deep. Jesus, we give you full permission, full permission to go to every secret room, every secret place, every vestige of darkness that has calloused itself into my body and space. Lord, we give you every right, every permission to uncover all of these things, to free, to heal, to mend, to reconcile, to repair, to sow, to restore, to connect back to, to recover. For some of you, it's gonna be deep-seated mindsets and you go ahead and lay your hand on your head. For some of you, it's gonna be in your heart, in your chest, you've carried these things there. For some of you, it's gonna be just deep anxiety. It's Jesus, I don't even know the root cause of it, God, but I just pray that you go super deep. You go to the very, very, very base of that root, Lord, and you address it in my life. Yeah, this is the phrase that I keep, this is the prayer that I keep on hearing, right? And maybe it's even something for you to echo into your prayer life this week, but it's like, I will make room for you. I make room for you. I make room for you. I make room for you. For in you dwells the fullness and you dwell in me. So let that fullness take up the full space. No more fractions. No more fractures, no more division, no more separations, no more, Jesus. Nothing separate from your love. Nothing separate from your presence. Level this thing, Jesus. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.